1: Taryn Pritchett.
2: Well, a pleasant good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Also, we've got our live streams going at WSBTRadio.com and on our free WSBT Radio app. And we have a two camera shot now. On the Twitch app, Eric smiling at the camera. I'm waving. You can enjoy the program <laughs> in that fashion as well. Just go to the Twitch app and look up Sports Radio 960 WSBT, and you will find us just like that. Nine minutes after five o'clock on this Wednesday, August the second, 2023, today would have been practice number seven for the Fighting Irish during fall camp. Of course, they've got a head start on most of the country since they play in week zero calorie free college football to start the year for the fighting Irish of course in what 24 days now the Irish are going to take on the United States Naval Academy in Dublin and of course we'll have the game for you on WSBT radio and read all about it preview comments during the game post game at insideindiesports.com and by golly, the editor of InsideIndieSports.com is back with me for the first of two straight shows. Eric Hansen joins me here live in studio on this Wednesday evening. Good to be with you, my friend. How has football camp treated you so far? Really interesting. I've, I've
3: enjoyed it a lot, and we get another shot at a full media open practice on Tuesday night, so I'm really looking forward to that.
2: Okay, very good. And we're going to talk all things Notre Dame football fall camp during this hour of the program. We've got three Notre Dame football-related hat trick of opening topics to get to in a moment. I want to break down the tight end position because there are a lot of people that could play for Notre Dame. So I have created seven questions, or almost seven categories, and Eric and I are going to kick around the answers. For example, the best two tight end set when you're needing two pass catchers. On the field. So, which of the five would you choose? And we're talking about Bauman, Evans, Raritan, Stays, Flanagan. So, we'll have, I guess, kind of our own little depth chart of various things at the tight end position coming up in a little bit. We have our Twitter question of the day to get to as well. Six o'clock hour, our opponent preview shifts to Phil, Phil Jerkovic and the Pittsburgh Panthers. You know, it's interesting. A couple of times on the Notre Dame schedule, The Irish are facing quarterbacks who are reunited with former offensive coordinators in which they had their most success. Djokovic with his old BC offensive coordinator at Pitt now, and Brennan Armstrong probably most notably. He had that big, what, 4,500-yard passing season at Virginia a couple of years ago. His offensive coordinator is now at NC State. They're reunited, so it's kind of interesting to think Some of these quarterbacks might be at their best this year, back with those offensive coordinators. Was it flukes? We'll find out. But I'll say this. I think Notre Dame has a challenging schedule from the standpoint of facing some pretty good quarterbacks this year. The kid at Duke, Riley Leonard, is one of those under-the-radar guys. If Armstrong bounced back, I'm not sure Djokovic's going to get back to his 2020 form. But, Eric, outside of, you know, Caleb Williams, obviously the Heisman Trophy winner, there's a lot of interesting quarterbacks on the schedule. And whoever Ohio State rolls out yep. a
3: quarterback is going to be really good, Kate. Okay, Clubnik at Clemson. Yeah, there's some r- really good quarterbacks. Navy's quarterback situation is a little bit in a state of flux. Uh, one of the guys that was competing for the first string position hasn't been at practice. He's had hmm. some academic snags, so we'll see how that ends up affecting them. But yeah, some really good quarterbacks. I'll give you a little bit of a, I don't know if this is a trivia question. So I was talking to Sam Hartman earlier this summer and I said, Notre Dame never really looked at you, did they? And he goes, no, not at all. he goes, nobody <laughs> did. He goes, really, there are three schools I got offers from and, You know, some of it was he was undersized. Even though he was on that Netflix special, he had some health problems. And so, but who was the quarterback that Notre Dame was enamored with in
2: that class? Do you remember? Oh, my goodness. That would have been, what, six years ago? Tell me or I'll waste the whole show thinking. Phil
3: (laughs) Jakovic.
2: Oh, of course, Phil. Phil Jakovic. I think someone needs to take Phil's phone away from him Notre Dame week. Let's just have a nice, quiet week and just play football. Unlike, I don't think you're going to get that. I, I think,
3: first of all, there's not a lot of guys on the team no. that played with Phil. So there there will be people on the defensive line that said, who's this guy?
2: But then they'll read the bulletin board material like, oh, okay, yeah, we yeah. need to really hit <laughs> yeah, this Marcus guy hard. Marcus will bring it up. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Marcus will bring it up. But they're like, okay, who's the guy we're supposed to be mad at?
2: Brian Kelly might even send a message to the team. (laughs) Go ahead and hit this guy a little harder if you don't mind. All right, let's get to some topics to start the program. Here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT, we call it our hat trick of opening topics. Hat trick means three topics. Eric, let's start with a position battle during fall camp. Let's get into the state of the Irish offensive guard competition. Coach Rudolph met the media this week. And it seems like after seeing Shrouth and Christophic with the ones at the start of camp, then all of a sudden there was a bit of a change and Rocco Spindler the last couple of days has had a chance with the number one group at the right guard position. How would you lay out where things stand right now and how close the Irish are to picking the offensive guard so they can start building true chemistry with their five starters?
3: Well, I needed more than just to... to... Watch it. I needed to talk to Coach Rudolph, and we had that chance earlier this week. And so that helped me decode the competition a little bit better. So, and with a different offensive line coach, it may be a different outcome. Um, and, and Rocco's had three. Um, so, but let's start with the left guard. Billy Shrouth is competing with Pat Coogan. We also saw. Tosh Baker and Emil Wagner get some reps at guard. Joe Rudolph just wanted to see how those guys would handle playing inside because they're certainly two of the better, you know, if you're trying to go linemen one through seven, they would probably be in that conversation, both of them. I think Tosh Baker probably doesn't. Fit inside as well at 6'8 and kind of his build. But I think Emil Wagner could probably pull it off. So I think he wants to make sure that he's not leaving an option out there that, that might be the better long-term option and then move Emil back out to tackle when there's a when there's a spot open there. Um, so left guard realistically, though, is Billy Shrouth and Pat Coogan. Coach Rudolph says that that competition is real. I think it's less real. I think Shrouth is too talented and and he's not lacking in another area. It's not like he doesn't get it. It's not like he doesn't work hard. He's got some Quentin Nelson qualities uh, as Quentin Nelson was at that age and I think he's just going to be a difficult guy to push out of there. If he doesn't open As the left guard, um, I would be shocked, and I would be shocked if he didn't eventually overtake Pat Coogan, but give Pat Coogan a ton of credit for working his way into that conversation because he came in as a fairly unheralded three-star prospect uh, who was kind of a B-list offer for Notre Dame, and he's turned himself into a pretty pretty good offensive lineman. Then the other one that's really interesting that I really think is a competition is Andrew Christoffick versus Rocco Spindler. And the clue that I got in talking to Joe Rudolph was that physicality counted for a lot. I think some coaches are more concerned with assignment correctness and I feel like Joe Rudolph is as well because I watched the offensive line the last practice for almost all five of those periods that I was in there. I think that Joe Rudolph thinks he can teach Rocco what his deficit is in that area. I saw why he gets frustrated with him. I saw a play. So Rocco, they have two guys lined up next to each other and they fire out to block somebody. And they had just learned a technique into figuring out who they're supposed to block. Okay. So Rocco just fires out into the second level and just manhandles a fake linebacker, which is actually an offensive line, just manhandles him. He was supposed to double team the nose guard based on the technique. And he said, and Coach Rudolph stopped and he goes, you know, That's really frustrating. He goes, You need to apply the technique that I just taught. And so. Yeah. But Rocco is going to knock whoever he blocks in the next week. <laughs> Inter Kristoffek is going to block the right person. And not like he's not physical. And they're fairly similar in size. they both 6'5". I think Rocco has maybe 10 pounds on Kristoffek. But Rocco has NFL-type strength and power and burst. And that's what... Joe Rudolph wants in this line. I mean, he wants you to be able to do your job right, but he also wants to be able
2: to punch a hole in the defense. So Rocco, it's more mental than physical at this stage. It's more mental
3: than physical. It's more learning the concept and applying it um, to a different situation that you don't see. So you learn rules and you learn techniques. And then he and what Coach Rudolph will do is he'll put you in an unfamiliar situation, and then you have to apply those rules. And Morocco doesn't always get that perfect. Kristoffic does Kristoffic every time, Um, but it's really interesting to watch how physical they are. I mean the tackles, my goodness. (laughs) Uh, I felt bad for Kristoffic because one of the people he was having to push on in his drills was Charles Jagaza. The freshman who's six foot seven, three thirty—that was a hard push. Uh, but but the thing that I really liked before I, I guess I finish answering the question yeah. is that Joe Rudolph is very technique-driven in his coaching. I needed to see to what degree because I watched Harry a lot. Now Harry does it with higher decibels and <laughs> more language than can go on your video recorder (laughs) Um, but they're very similar and then I mean Joe Rudolph he'll he'll make the comment in the moment to correct it and then he's got two assistants that help him uh, and they will kind of clean up and and continue the message but he always has something to say he always makes sure everybody gets at least one rep in it he's always talking to them about physicality there's always just a little okay like a meal a little bit more width on that block Emil Wagner um, it was really interesting to see that level of detail and I think that's going to that makes me feel better about how the ceiling of the entire offensive line can be and honestly if I'm picking I'm taking a chance on Rocco I'm taking a chance on the more physical player and that if I'm Joe Rudolph I feel like I can teach that and it's going to make it through. I think Rocco wasted a lot of time after he fell out of that. You we know, had that one spring as an early enrollee where he's running with the ones that everybody came back and he got knocked down to the twos and everybody just figured it would be a matter of time. Yeah. And I think he got a little frustrated and maybe didn't learn while he was being frustrated. And I think
2: Joe feels like he can make up for lost time, but he's in it. Eric, there are many times that coaches will use a press conference to send messages to players. That's just a technique. And I think there are some moments where we hear things that might be more Hollywood than reality. I didn't want to be disrespectful, but I talked all spring. I never felt like there was a true quarterback competition throughout. You bring in Sam to be the guy and he had to make adjustments, Eric. He had to learn to be under center He had to learn being in a huddle, giving out the play call. There were so many new things. It was going to take him a while to catch up. So I always felt like Hartman was going to be the guy despite the labeled competition. And I heard you talking about Shrouth and Coogan. To me, I'd be shocked if Shrouth is not the starter. Maybe this is a true competition. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to Coach Rudolph, but Shrouth just seems like the guy with the highest ceiling. And if you're looking for physicality, that's a pretty good place to start. So, do you think it's truly a competition, or is Shrouth eventually going to win this, and we'll put all this to bed?
3: I don't know. When I, well, I I shouldn't say I don't know. I I will say, I agree. Okay. I, I I think that it's not as close a competition as maybe it's being sold. I think that Joe Rudolph is giving Coogan kudos for. An incredible amount of growth, which he has. But Shrouth hasn't stopped. Yeah. Um, that, it's not like he's had a bad day. It doesn't yeah, sound like Yeah, yeah. I think Coogan may be the center next year, even though he's not taking reps there right now. I mean, um, and I don't know if Zeke had a long-term injury, whether they would turn to Coogan or um, whether they would turn to uh, the other guys that have been working there. Um, it's been Ashton... Craig has been taking the number two reps and then Joe Otting, the freshman the number three reps. But if there was a long-term injury, you know, maybe they reconfigure things and move Coogan back to that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I I just don't see it happening. As long as Billy's healthy, I think he's going to be not only the starting left guard, but a star there. And, and you're going to be – Boy, what a great place to be on the line. Yeah. A multi-year starter at center now with Zeke Correll to be a second year in a row starting and then having the best tackle in college football to your left. So I think that's that's a great place
2: to keep growing for Billy Schroud. I feel for the scout team defensive ends this year. Yeah, (laughs) you got Joe and Blake to deal with. That the the quarterback's going to be pretty clean, I think, in the pocket. (laughs) Trying to
3: think who who might end up on scout team. It'll probably be Bubakar Triori and maybe Brendan Vernon. Although Brendan may move up. Okay. Yeah, it's it's hard to see who's at the bottom of that depth chart. There's a lot of good talent at both those ends.
2: Eric Hansen, editor of InsideIndieSports.com. Darren Pritchett with you on Sportsbeat. Let's get to our second hat trick of opening topics for tonight. It's focus on the defensive line. Let me give you a description of my thoughts on the defensive line okay. right now, and then I'll have you break it down and offer some thoughts. The way I look at the defensive line this year compared to last year, last year you had an elite defensive end in Isaiah Fosky. You knew what you were going to get from Isaiah Foskey. You were going to get a high level of play each and every week. I think you had some really high-end players. The Ademiola Twins, I think, were really outstanding players. So I really like last year's defensive line. Now guys are starting to move up. And I see this, Eric. I think there is more separation last year between the ones and the twos because of some of the high-end players you had. This year, I'm not saying the starters are bad. I feel like the gap is much closer between the ones and the twos in a couple of areas, including Jean-Baptiste and um, Mensa. They seem to be very close. Now, I think Riley Mills is going to have a big year. I think he can be a dominant interior defensive lineman, but let me just start with that premise. Do you feel like there's not much drop off between the ones and the twos and that isn't necessarily an awful thing? Because, again, I'm not saying the starters are, are not going to be up to par. I just think there's just not a lot of separation between a lot of these positions where we stand right now.
3: Right. I, I would agree with you. And it's a good thing because they're not backups. They're rotation players. So they play a lot of snaps, and they're counted on to rotate, come in in waves, and you can bring them all in at the same time and not worry about there being a drop-off.
2: Um, Going back to Mike Elston taking over the defensive line, there has not been a drop-off between the ones and the twos. There's been great play in both levels for several years. And now Coach Washington, of course, in that spot.
3: And in talking to Coach Washington on Tuesday after practice, it sounds like they feel like they can get to 10 deep. So two deep at every position, maybe three deep at a couple positions. And I would guess that those positions would be um, Viper. I think Josh Burnham is going to be... A guy that's going to see a lot of action, and then somebody interior um, probably is going to jump forward, um, or maybe even Tyson Ford at a couple of places. He's he's not there yet, but maybe somebody on the interior.
2: Cross what? Rubio Onye, maybe. It, uh, oh, they, uh, Jason
3: Onye is definitely in it at number two right now. Jason is. Jason was the story of the spring, right. and he continues there. And he is—he and Gabe Rubio are cross-training at both the interior positions. I think the expectation is that Jason Anya is going to have a big year as a rotation guy. If you were talking about who I have the most confidence in right now, yeah, number
2: two, go there.
3: You know, I would say Jason Anya, and that's going to surprise some people because. Nana Asafa Mensa, who's even with Javante uh, Jean Baptiste right now, has played a lot of football there. But I think Jason Anye is surging. I think he's the guy out of all those guys. And I also think probably very underrated is his Junior Tui Alamaka. He is not an ideal size, although he's put on some weight. I mean, he's six foot two. He doesn't have extremely long arms, but he's super quick and processes things so quickly that it gives him an extra half step. And he's also just very smart in being able to read what an offense is going to do and how he can disrupt it.
2: Okay, so let me back up. Let me just go through Eric Hansen's depth chart for a second. Okay. Let me give you some of my thoughts. I'll have you jump in. Strong side defensive end, Osafa Menson, John Baptiste are the two guys, correct? Right. Okay. On the other side, you've got Jordan Botello, who's going to be the starter. And I wrote down Junior Tuihalamaka and Josh Burnham as the backups. You good with that? Yep. Okay, so now let's go inside. This is where I have questions. And with the cross-training going on, give me your two-deep look at nose guard and defensive tackle.
3: In the spring, it was Riley Mills and Rubio. And I'm probably going to change this based on what I see Tuesday night in the full practice to moving Anye over to the defensive tackle and Rubio over to the nose. They're both playing, but I spent a lot of time talking to Jason Anye, and that's the impression he gave me that he's taking more reps at defensive tackle now. And, again, he is absolutely (laughs) surging right now. I mean, he's a guy that didn't play even high school football until he was a sophomore in high school and he's playing in Rhode Island. I mean, they have, and he missed a senior year because of COVID. So he's play, he played two years of high school football, basically. And that first year he was a reserve as a sophomore. So he's been a one-year starter in high school. So I think his really good football is coming on now. And, and that's, I mean, at 6'5", 292, He's a physical presence, he's gotten stronger, really smart guy, has great Jordan Botello stories, Um, (laughs) and so um, I think, you know, because we see this in the spring, Darren, there's flavors of the week all the time in the spring, and you get to the fall and go, what happened? Where'd they go? (laughs) Where'd they go? (laughs) And he's not disappearing, he's going in the opposite direction, so... Uh, Anya and Mills gives you two 6'5 guys in the high 290s that I think are going to be able to make penetration, and I think this is going to be the key to their run stoppage because Howard Cross is going to be in the right place. At 6'1", 280, I mean, he's definitely not a prototypical nose guard, but he's a guy that's going to be assignment correct, and he's going to make plays. His quick hands are going to serve him well. And and if Gabe Rubio can compliment him, then they've got the start of something good at the interior spots. But that was a spot I thought they would get a grad transfer to help them. Yeah.
2: Okay. Third and final opening topic for today. Just want to spend a couple of minutes on the number two quarterback behind Sam Hartman. You've got Steve Angeli and Kenny Minchie. Is there a true competition right now and the second part of the question is has either one of these two impressed you more than the other so far this fall camp?
3: Well Steve Angeli in the we had an open practice the first day of camp when there were you know they're in their shorts, they're not in shoulder pads or anything. But Steve Angeli looked really good that day. And I would say my anticipation over the summer that Kenny Minchie was going to pull even with him. Just because he learned so quickly, he's pretty physically gifted, he missed some time his senior year because of an injury. And I thought, you know, being healthy, he'd, he'd take a run at Steve Angeli. I'm not sure that he can overtake him, but I still think it's a competition. I still think you have those guys compete because right now they're making each other better. They're also really smart as they're spending a lot of time with Hartman. Steve Angelia especially. I mean, Sam Hartman likes to go fishing. If you want to pick his brain, you become a fisherman. <laughs> um, and and uh, Sam didn't compliment Steve's fishing skills necessarily, but he did say how impressed he was, the questions he asked and what he tried to do in terms of making himself better. So I think Steve Angeli is a solid number two now, but I would not count Kenny Minchie out just because I think eventually he's going to be the better of those two quarterbacks. Steve Angeli could certainly fool us, but, I mean, if you went by star, Steve,
2: I mean, Kenny Minchie would be the starter. You know, he was the four-star out of that group. Mm. Very good. Eric Hansen, editor of InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. That's our hat trick of opening topics for this Wednesday. When we come back, I really want to break down the tight end position with Eric because there are a lot of candidates for playing time. Who can do what? We'll try to lay that out for you coming up next as Budweiser's Weekday Sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: Notre Dame football coverage continues now.
2: Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame.
1: Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio, 960 WSBT.
2: Low snap, hands off inside to Estimate 10-5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Five thirty-eight is Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues, brought to you by Budweiser for thirteen years. Folds of Honor and Budweiser have provided life-changing scholarships to military families. Join United Beverage in raising a bud to raise funds for Folds of Honor. By Barnabys of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Barnabys, the Family Inn. By the Food Bank of Northern. Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at BeatIndiana.org and by Bethel University Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash ground for details. My name is Darren Pritchett. He is Eric Hansen, the editor of ndsports.com. Eric is with us every Wednesday and Thursday in the five o'clock hour talking Notre Dame football, Here on WSBT Radio. And right now we're going to shift gears to the offensive side of the football. And I want to lock in on the tight end position, Eric, because there have not been many years in the last 78 years in which we had any question marks about the tight end position. (laughs) I mean, we've had just a great run. Cole Komet, Brock Wright, Michael Mayer, just to name a few over the last few years, all in the National Football League. But now this year, it's a different story with Mayer jumping to the NFL a year early, as expected. You've got five guys battling for playing time. Kevin Bauman, often injured, unfortunately. Mitchell Evans, he started the Gator Bowl when Mayer went to the NFL. You got Eli Reardon coming off a couple of ACLs. Then you got Holden Stays and the true freshman, Cooper Flanagan. So I'm going to throw out some questions, and the answer or answers will be among these five guys, Bauman, Evans, Raritan, Stays, and Flanagan. Are you ready for your quiz?
3: Yes, and if you had best fullback, it would be Davis Sherwood.
2: Who's yes, there. that's right. He's a utility guy. He's the Brendan Donovan of the Fighting Irish. Okay, first tight end question. The best true pass catcher? I
3: want to say Eli Raritan.
2: You want to. Okay.
3: <laughs> but, but it's very close because I think Mitchell Evans and Holden stays are right there.
2: Is Raritan a guy that might be more of a factor as the season goes on because he's further away from this second ACL recovery? Or do you think from the get-go he's going to be a candidate to get major playing time?
3: In talking to him, and I talked to him directly, he feels like his timeline is – um, will be around the opener when he's 100%, okay. and he's not going to push it after maybe pushing it too fast Good for him. with the first one. So I would say look for him end of September, early October to make his move. I don't think early you know,
2: Navy and
3: Tennessee State is going to be Eli's time.
2: Okay. So... So Raritan. I'm assuming
3: everybody's healthy, though. Those okay. are these questions.
2: Okay, Raritan is the guy that probably will be ready to catch two touchdown passes against USC. That's what you're saying. There, y'all. Okay, very good. All right, how about the best tight end to split out as a wide receiver, which is something, for example, we have watched Michael Mayer do so successfully the last couple of years. So give me your best tight end to use basically as a wide receiver away from the tackles.
3: I would have said... Eli Reardon a year ago, I'm going to say Holden stays now. Okay, what makes him the best choice? Because he's just gotten so much better at it, and he's gotten bigger without losing speed. He came in in the 220s. He's in the 240s now, and he just has impressed me. And I also think Eli is a much better blocker than any of us thought he was going to be, and so do you really want to split him out? You know when you have okay. other options. So I'm going to go with Holden.
2: All right, we're going through some tight end options for the Fighting Irish. Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchard, with you on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on WSBT Radio, also at wsbtradio.com, our WSBT Radio app, and live on the Twitch app. Next up, best two tight end set needing two pass catchers.
3: I'll go Evans and Rarden.
2: Evans looked good in the Gator Bowl when given a full opportunity.
3: Yeah, and I know they're excited about him. And remember, he was a high school quarterback, and he's just getting better and better.
2: No more quarterback sneaks this year?
3: You know, somebody <laughs> asked me that in the chat. I think we that doesn't go away. Mitch Palusa doesn't go away completely, <laughs> but I think that they will do it less. First of all, there's not the element of surprise, and secondly, I think Sam Hartman has more game as a short yardage goal line quarterback than drew pine did uh but you don't necessarily want to run him a lot but i think you're gonna have to sometimes
2: see it all just gets tied together vince vaughn was in rudy Mm -hmm. and vince vaughn was in old school which mitchapalooza became famous how about that It all just perfectly loops together doesn't it okay all right notre dame tight end position questions now let's go to The best blocker among the five tight ends, Bauman, Evans, Raritan, Stays, Flanagan.
3: The eye test would tell you probably Bauman. The pro football focus rankings would tell you Eli Raritan. He Hmm. earned a really high run block grade. I think higher than anybody on the team except for, now again, it was only in five games and limited snaps. But higher than anybody except for Joe Alt and Michael Mayer, two
2: All-Americans. So, hmm, hmm? interesting, very interesting. all right How about so a Fresca, but Bauman's probably the most realistic choice. I would say, okay, yeah, for now, okay, the, so, a healthy Baumann. So maybe you just answered the next question, which is best fourth down, and one. Two tight end blocker combinations. So you're in short yardage. You want to go two tight ends. Your choices are? So it's only – well,
3: I think you have to have the illusion of somebody that's a pass catcher to make that. So I'll go Bauman-Evans, but I I would be very comfortable having really Eli or stays there, but certainly Eli.
2: Okay, a couple more to go. Now let's go with your best – Four-down tight end. That means first down, second down, third down, fourth down. We've had a lot of those guys around these parts of the tight end spot. Is there truly a four-down tight end right now? And maybe I should preface it by saying at this stage of their careers. At
3: this stage of their career, it's Evans. It may be somebody else in the future, but Evans, and not that Evans is showing signs of slowing down. I just think there's higher
2: ceiling guys, but Evans is the guy now. Okay, final question. Of those five tight ends, Bauman, Evans, Raritan, Stays, Flanagan, who has the highest ceiling at tight end? Um, Tyler James, um,
3: my co-editor, co-publisher, and I were having this conversation the other day.
2: He said Stays, I say Eli Raritan. Okay. So now let me just ask a bonus question. Okay. If you had to guess right now, When we get to the Monday before the Notre Dame-Navy game, Marcus Freeman's ready to talk about the game. The media notes come out. The depth chart, which doesn't always show reality. But who do you think the top three will be listed on the depth chart at tight end?
3: I don't think it'll be Reardon because of injury. It may not because Bauman didn't practice the other day. We don't know yet. We'll know Tuesday night how serious that is. Now, he wasn't on crutches or anything or in a sling, but he was on the um, stationary bike. So I will go with Evans, Stays, Hmm. and Sherwood. Oh. Just not knowing the health status of those other two guys. Because of Bauman's injury. Okay.
2: If Bauman's healthy, is he in the top three? Then he is definitely in the top three. All right, very good. I hope that helps the folks out there getting ready for Notre Dame football to get a better idea about the tight end position, because, again, you don't have that NFL draft pick guy, at least at this time, rated a roll. But, you know, by the looks of things, there might be a continued tradition of draft picks at the tight end position from this group. And and a quick thought, it sounds like Cooper Flanagan's looked really good when given the opportunity in practice.
3: <laughs> he has. It's a nice surprise when your tight end is listed at 6'5", 239, <laughs> and he actually comes in at 6'6", 262. Jeez! Um, so... Uh, And he's looked good, but he's got a lot of people to jump over. I would say, you know, Eli Reardon and and Stays are the guys I'm probably most excited about, but I'm not discounting Mitchell Evans. The guy way down the road, the 2025 recruit Nate Roberts out of Oklahoma is something special. He's the next guy people will be really excited
2: about. It's amazing the ups and downs in the themes of Notre Dame football fans when it comes to recruiting. When Justin Scott picked Ohio State, everything was dark and cloudy and (laughs) gloomy, and now all of a sudden everybody's all excited again just because you get a couple of more guys. And, I mean, the team rankings, which I don't necessarily get into, Notre Dame seems to be doing just fine without Justin Scott.
3: They do, and they're going to be persistent about trying to flip him. It was interesting because I did – I think I might have mentioned this. I did a story – on well it was actually a chat transcript where it, and then rivals retweeted and says eric hansen weighs in on if just if notre dame can flip justin scott and justin scott
2: liked it and retweeted it dun, 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 <laughs> he either really really likes you he likes seeing his name mentioned or you never know
3: yeah, probably he likes seeing his name mentioned maybe he was doing it because he knows i'm an ohio state grad and um but i i think i think Notre Dame has a shot if Notre Dame plays well in September. I think that's what could, you know, because Justin felt like, and if the Notre Dame defensive line plays well in September, plays well early in the season, he got excited about Larry Johnson's record of putting guys in the pros. Who wouldn't? Sure. And what's Al Washington's record? He doesn't have a big resume. He was just the linebacker's coach at Ohio State. Uh, he he doesn't have a long resume, and so. Um, but if he show if this defensive line becomes the surprise storyline of this team, then maybe they get back
2: into it. He's Eric, I'm Darren. More Sports Beat coming up in a moment. Five forty nine at WSBT.
1: This is the Budweiser's weekday Sports Beat Twitter Question of the Day from Sports Radio nine sixty WSBT.
2: 553 at WSBT, Eric Hansen, editor of InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. We have reached the portion of the program where we talk about our Twitter question of the day or X question of the day. You can find it at 960 Sportsbeat. Yesterday, this was the question, Eric. What will be the Notre Dame record after the September portion of their schedule? Which features Navy, Tennessee State, at North Carolina State, Central Michigan, Ohio State, and at Duke. Your choices six and oh, five and one, four and two, or three and three or worse. We have no negative negativity out there. No votes for three and three or worse. Coming in third in the voting at twelve point five percent, Notre Dame will go four and two in September. So that means they lose to Ohio State and then lose probably. NC at State. NC State or at Duke, one of the two. Okay, second in the voting, thirty-eight point nine percent said undefeated, six and zero, but winning the vote at five and 486 percent of the vote, and I'm imagining almost everybody who voted for five and one expect them to lose to Ohio State and beat the rest. So, Mr. Hansen, where do you stand on that particular question?
3: As of this moment, I would say five and one, I think that's the most realistic scenario. I wouldn't rule out the others, but I think that's the most realistic scenario.
2: I think NC state is the second most difficult game of the six. If Brennan Armstrong gets back to his old form, reuniting with his offensive coordinator and NC state's picked off Hartman three times in each of his last two games. So they might have a quote unquote book on him, but he's in a new system now too.
3: Right. Right. Um, but he has, you know, those NC State games with Wake have been very competitive. And, um, you know, I
2: just think the way it's kind of placed, NC State, I think that's the more of the track game. Okay, very good. We thank you for voting. And now we move along to today's question, which was posted earlier today, again at 960 Sportsbeat. Regardless of position, who is the best player on the 2023 Notre Dame football roster now I only gave three choices I don't think I needed to go further no okay good I am glad I got your seal of approval the three choices in fact you probably could have gone two very easily but here are the three choices quarterback Sam Hartman offensive tackle Joe Alt or cornerback Benjamin Morrison who is the best player on this year's Notre Dame football team again regardless of position You can vote now on my Twitter account at 960SportsBeat. We will reveal tomorrow on the program the results of this question, and Eric will answer the question. I think I know because I've read your top 25. Top 23 for 23? Yes. Okay. Which I think had to do with being the best players. Right. right? That's how you rank them. There's other ways of doing it, but you
3: went one through. Alphabetically or by height.
2: Well, (laughs) Yes, but in terms of importance (laughs) to the team, that could alter the list a little bit okay I like just best sure okay so I think I know who so not
3: who wins the swimsuit competition not who answers I want world peace it's the best
2: not the junior jabby award for great play in the spring right (laughs) we we want the best player on the roster he's
3: changed his name too it's not junior anymore or he goes by something else I can't remember what it was I was gonna do a story on it but I just
2: thought Nah. No. <laughs> Depends on what he. If changed I could have gotten to. a
3: hold of him, I would have. I would have done the story.
2: There's a restaurant chain that if you change your name to the name of the restaurant, you get like free stuff for a long, long time.
3: Oh uh, yeah, I, th- I thought I saw that. A yeah. lunch
2: meat type place, I believe. Okay. All right, very good. All right, Eric. As we start to wrap up this hour, how about a quick thought on some things that people will find on your website, InsideIndieSports.com.
3: Well, right now, front and center, we have our chat transcript. So I spent three hours today answering questions from people all over the world. We actually had somebody from Dublin, Ireland on there today. Um, wow. Charleston's got all kinds of recruiting content. Has talked to recruits that were at the Grill and Chill recruiting event on Sunday. <laughs> we have a feature by Tyler James on Zeke Correll. And of course... Much, much more. Which
2: is my favorite part. And a quick note, I think this happened after the trade deadline yesterday, but Trey Mancini, the former Notre Dame star baseball player, designated for assignment by the Cubs. So I think they have 10 days to trade him, or he's given his outright release and hopefully can find a new home. Boy, you would think. Yeah, the on-base percentage and the glove just weren't there in Chicago, unfortunately.
3: Do you think that it's just him recovering from all the – Body trauma from going through the cancer. I would think I I would take a chance on it. Trey Mancini. Hope goodness. he gets
2: another opportunity. AJ Pollock is now a San Francisco Giant.
3: So okay. guys
2: are moving around. Eric, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Sounds good. He's Eric Hansen. I'm Darren Pritchett. I'll have more sports beat in a couple of moments. Sports update on the way here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: To Budweiser's weekday sports beat on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. Highlight reel one by Williams down the sideline. Williams chased by Gamble. Twenty ten. What a run! Touchdown! Spectacular run! Here's the fake. Meyer looking. Meyer finding the under tight end. Erb Smith touchdown. Five by Rocket touchdown. Irish. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett.
2: Second hour Budweiser's weekday sports beat on this Wednesday evening. We are now a full week into Notre Dame football fall camp and edging closer to that first game against Navy on August the 26th. Things are going well for the Irish. Knock on wood, no major injuries to talk about. And there still are some position battles that are unfolding in fall camp. And let's get the latest on Notre Dame football and get the opinions of the Beat reporter at Blue and Gold, Illustrated, blueandgold.com, Tyler Horka. Tyler, good to be with you. How are you?
4: Very good. I've got a full week
2: of watching
4: football actually live in person, albeit just practice, but a real full week of football under my belt, so I cannot complain at all.
2: No doubt about that. I'm ready as well, and I know our listeners and your readers are ready for Notre Dame football to get going for real in just a couple of weeks. So since we are now a full week into training camp, in your opinion, Tyler, what do you think has been the biggest development?
4: There's definitely a few things, but I look toward the offensive line, and just when we thought that everyone was set in stone, the five guys that were starting across the board in the spring, were the five guys that came in last week, a week ago today, and started that practice, five across the board. Now you've got Rocco Spindler, the guy that everyone has seemingly wanted to talk about in the last year and a half, really, once his freshman year was over going into his sophomore year, getting some starting reps. And it's really the first time in his Notre Dame career that he's done so. And again, this is just one week of practice. And some of these starting reps are individual drills where, He's just lining up right next to Blake Fisher as the right guard, and they're going through some combo blocking deals. And It's not even a full five across the board, lining up across from defensive linemen type situation, but it's still new for Spindler, and uh, who knows? Maybe he is the one that's going to start on August 26th. I think that's probably the biggest development. It's definitely a storyline that our message board subscribers want to talk about every second of every day. Uh, it all starts up front. Marcus Freeman says so himself. So uh, it, it's definitely the biggest development of the first week. And I think it will carry in to the second and third week of camp as, as well.
2: After watching a week's worth of practice, Tyler, do you think there is one player, maybe if you want to mention a couple, who have improved their stock the most with the coaching staff?
4: Yeah, it's definitely Spindler, but I just spent enough time talking about him. He's He's definitely in that conversation. And then I think what Jadarian Price has done, sticking with the offense again, it just in the first week where they kind of threw him out there and they must have seen or heard enough good things about him through summer sure. workouts to kind of throw him out there. We talked about him last week as the number two running back in a group of five scholarship running backs that is very deep. I mean, I know it's led by Audric Estime, and he's going to be the number one. But really, you got four guys kind of vying for that number two spot. And the Notre Dame coaching staff has elected to go with a guy coming off an Achilles injury as kind of that number two front runner right now. So I think it's been very impressive. And he's held up by all accounts. Uh, what we've heard at BlueAndGold.com, what we've seen in the practices that we've been able to be out there for, you would never know that this guy tore his Achilles uh, really just over a year ago. I think it was at the end of June. So we're talking 13 months. And you've seen some of your favorite professional athletes when they tear their Achilles. Obviously, they're not a 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid like Jadarian Price. But, I mean, it takes a long time to come back from that. And sometimes you never do come back from that. It looks like Jadarian Price is as good as he was before the injury. I mean, his upper body looks stout. He's moving his legs really well. Footwork looks good. So, I think Jadarian Price has done a lot to maybe go into that Navy game on August 26th as that kind of – number two running back to complement Audrey Estame.
2: I guess Tyler from the outside looking in, we went into fall camp. There were a handful of position battles. I think we still wanted to see if the safeties, if it was going to be Watson Brown or if anybody was going to beat him out, the nickel was up for grabs, some defensive line positions. We just talked about the offensive guards and the number two running back. Do you think anybody in those conversations has won a job at this point or is it too early to predict a winner in any of the spots that were up for grabs going into fall camp?
4: Yeah, I'll stick with the defense here and go through a couple of those that you mentioned. Uh, You started with the safeties. I think it's pretty much set in stone that DJ Brown, a guy who's played 47 games for this program, has started 11 games, 10 of those coming last year. So obviously, you know, these last couple of years, he's been playing his best football at Notre Dame. I think he's going to start at free safety. And then I think Xavier Watts, the other guy that you mentioned, is by far Notre Dame's best safety in general. And I know you have to differentiate between free safeties and strong safeties, which Watts is is the latter. But, man, he looks really good, looks athletic. You could tell that he's a guy that Notre Dame at this time last year was kind of trusting to play both sides of the ball. Uh, Intelligent kid, really athletic kid, runs the field really well. And I think he's finally fully comfortable, 100% comfortable playing that safety spot. So I think those two guys have one job. It would, it would be shocking if I saw anybody else start at safety. Uh, at nickel, I think it's still kind of up in the air. Clarence Lewis is a guy who kind of like Brown has been trusted to play in a lot of different uh, situations over his career. I mean, if you go back all the way to 2020, he was starting six games as a corner uh, now he's kind of switched more to that nickel corner position. He's really battling it out with Thomas Harper there, and I, I think those guys are neck and neck. That's 50-50. That's one that's going to linger probably, not just into the last week of camp, but that that first week of the season. I think that position will be finalized then. And then and on the defensive line, I'm I'm becoming more and more confident uh, who those starters are going to be. I think Riley Mills is locked in as a starter. Jordan Botello is definitely the viper. I mean, he's ahead of the on the depth chart of two young guys who have barely played any football at this level in Junior Tui Halamaka and Josh Burnham. So I think Batello is definitely the viper. Uh, Javante Jean-Baptiste, I'm leaning toward him to start over Nana Asafo-Mensa as uh, the strong side defensive end just because on, on first and second downs, you're normally, uh, you know, th- those are kind of wide open downs and Jean-Baptiste is more of a pass rusher, but he can also get it done uh, stopping the run. No, no is pretty much just a run stopper. So you'll probably see Baptiste go out there first uh, on, our, on August 26th against Navy. So, yeah, a lot of those defensive spots, th- those were really where all the position battles were, except for the offensive line where we started the conversation with. Uh, a lot of position battles going into fall camp on that defensive side aside, and a lot of clarity in the first week for sure. A couple of battles still to be decided. Uh, particularly at at slot corner, but uh, a lot of clarity clarity coming into view as well. I
2: don't know if you could hear that question or not. Let me me do it one more time. I'm having some technical difficulties. What I was going to mention was, Tyler, it's hard to compare defensive ends and defensive linemen because of the stat differentials, you get the big sack numbers from the defensive ends, the interior defensive linemen do things that don't show up on the stat line. With that being said, I'm just wondering, do you think Riley Mills could be their best defensive lineman this year?
4: Yeah, I've got you now, and uh, I I am kind of on board with you in that. And What's kind of crazy is you take Isaiah Foskey out of the equation last year, and I know you still had the Adam and Lola twins as well, but I think a lot of people were kind of hoping that Raleigh Mills would be in that conversation last year. Uh, now that the per- personnel is different and, um, you know, Afoski's not there and the Adam Malolo twins aren't there. I think he's definitely in the running to be Notre Dame's best defensive lineman. He looks bigger this year. And I think a thing that comes with that is he knows that he's just going to be playing three tack this year. He, he's going to be in the middle of that defensive Line, He doesn't have to worry about shifting out to the edge and, and trying to rush the passer. And that goes back to what you were saying about you know comparing the statistics and D-tackles are different from D-ends and nose tackles are even different from three-tacks and, and vipers and strong-side defensive ends. Mills knows what he is now. He's kind of geared his off season toward that. His first week of camp looks like he's comfortable with where he's at. And, and just kind of the experience, I mean – as tough as last year was for him bouncing around two different positions, he probably learned a lot from that. And you know, he's probably grateful for any hardship that came with it, or maybe he was expecting himself to be that guy as well. And, and he never really quite got all the way there. I think he's motivated this year. Uh, his body looks good and he's ready to, to attack this season because he kind of knows that he has to as well. This isn't the same Notre Dame defensive lines as some of the ones that we've seen in the last 10 years or so. I mean, there's no Foxy there, like I was saying. So somebody's got to step up, and it could be Mills.
2: Tyler, let's move to Jalen Sneed for a moment. I think Irish fans love talking about this guy, what he might be able to become in the future for this fighting Irish defense. But what about in 2023? What do you think Snead's role could be with this defense?
4: Yeah, talk about a guy who looks bigger. Um, he just looks more like... Uh, a college football and Notre Dame linebacker this year than he did last year. And uh, sometimes it's like that for guys, um, you know, physically late blooming like that. And this is not even late for him. He's just a sophomore. So I think he's got a chance to play and play a lot. Now, I don't think there's going to be like a two linebacker system or anything with Maris CFL. But last year, it was, you know, he, he got on the field in blowouts and played 15 snaps against Boston College in the snow and. When... Nobody was really looking at any of those snaps, except for me. I wrote in a whole article on every single snap he played just because the audience is there for that. They love this kid, top-rated guy in the uh, 2022 recruiting class. So he's got the talent. Like I said, he's gotten bigger. I think he can come in and and play a role, Um, and maybe to the point where I think Notre Dame coaches are trusting him all the way to – throwing him in in, in an entire series. That's something we never saw last year. Like I said, he was getting garbage time snaps. Now maybe Notre Dame is successful in the first couple defensive series of a game, and you want to give Maris Lee a foul or Jack Kaiser, whoever it is, a breather, and you say, hey, Jalen Sneed, this one's yours, whether you're on the field for 10 plays and you guys got to make a goal line stand there to, to keep some extra points off the board or you guys get off the field in three plays. We're going to give you this one because we trust you and and we think that you can do that. I think Jalen Snead is pretty much on the cusp of being that type of guy.
2: I know a few moments ago, Tyler, you got into a a short discussion on the safety. So I'm going to skip that question I was going to ask you and just wrap up with this. Uh, Generally speaking, I know there's so much that is not shown in front of the media. With that being said, I just want to get your early reaction to – Jared Parker as offensive coordinator, and the play caller. One thing about Tommy Reese, and this is not just Tommy Reese in college football, there are many head coaches and offensive coordinators that don't like to have their young quarterbacks or even their veteran quarterbacks throw the football over the middle. You didn't see crossing routes or slants from Notre Dame under Tommy Reese or that much under Brian Kelly when he was calling the plays. So my question is this, have you seen anything – in practice that would indicate that Parker might be more willing to use the middle of the field in particular with a veteran quarterback?
4: Absolutely. uh, 100%. Some of the things that I've seen when these quarterbacks are throwing to pass catchers and routes on air, which really that, that is all just what we see in those portions of practice is guys trying to get on the same page timing quarterbacks understanding the route trees, obviously wide receivers understanding the route trees. Some of these things look like an aerial view of like Chicago and the surrounding suburbs with, with all of these streets crossing and, and all these lines and whatnot on the map. That's what this looks like now, obviously a way more organized version of that, but the amount of crossing routes I've seen rub routes I've seen. I mean, I've seen hitch. I mean, some of the stuff that you see from like, like national championships, like the uh, Renfro catch for Clemson comes to mind with some of the stuff I've seen from Notre Dame, where you've got hitch routes setting up corner routes. And obviously that is the hot route on the uh, scheme and the package that they're installing. And, you know, you got Jaden Thomas running this corner, but you've got Chris Tyree kind of running uh, underneath hitch and setting that corner route up. I didn't see, Nearly enough of that from Notre Dame last year. It was very vanilla. It was this guy runs here. That guy runs there. None of this stuff is crossing. Uh, you, be, It's like you're playing Madden and you're like, well, I'm probably throwing to Y on this route. No, it's not like that with, with these Notre Dame routes. Like Chris Tyree could be just as open as Jaden Thomas on the, on the play that I just mentioned, depending on where the defensive backs go and who follows who and whatnot. So, I've been very encouraged with the amount of crossing routes. Haven't seen as many slants, um, a lot of drags, a lot of uh, shallow stuff kind of crossing over the middle. But again, they're installing all of this stuff right now. And I wouldn't be surprised to see a whole lot of slants too, because uh, like you said, you've got a quarterback who's accurate, who you can get into a rhythm early. He's going to hit that slant route. I saw him do it time and again at Wake Forest. So, when you got a guy like that, you can run some of this, this stuff, and I think it's going to work for Notre Dame. I've been encouraged by what I've seen so far.
2: I think that is good news for a guy like Chris Tyree with some of the things that you described. Mm-hmm. All right, Tyler, I know you have been extremely busy writing stories about Notre Dame football, training camp. Why don't you give us a, a little idea of what you've been writing about and what's coming up at BlueAndGold.com?
4: Yeah, there's plenty of premium stories on blueandgold.com right now. Um, I think the big one that I wrote today was a little piece on Eli Raridan. He's another guy that the fan base loves to talk about, thinks highly of, and thinks could have a big year. So see where he's at in that article. My colleague Jack Sobel, he's been writing some tremendous stuff. The last couple days, a lot of offensive line content since we talked to those guys on Monday. So that stuff is always interesting. Let this conversation off with offensive line. Might as well finish off your day by going to blueandgold.com. And reading about it, and I will tease, there will be an article up at blueandgold.com in the morning with some stuff from a specific source close to the program who maybe gets to see a little bit more of these practices than even the media gets to see. Kind of the standouts, the things that that source has been observing. That story will be up at blueandgold.com in the morning, and I think it's going to be a real hit because that's some of that insider information that you're only going to get at blueandgold.com.
2: He's Tyler Horka, the Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Great information, great opinions, Tyler. Always appreciate your time, and we'll try it again next week.
4: All right, absolutely. We're one week closer, Darren, one week closer.
2: Well, when we were in May, it seemed like the football season was 10 years away, but now I think we can see the light at the end of the tunnel.
4: Absolutely, I can feel it. It's coming. Thanks, Darren.
2: Thanks, Tyler. Tyler Horka, Notre Dame football beat reporter, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Coming up on tomorrow's program in the 6 o'clock hour, we will talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer, the Fighting Irish recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, and we'll talk about the 2025 running back commitment that the Fighting Irish got this week. That's coming up tomorrow here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here come the Irish. Notre Dame football coverage continues now.
1: Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the stripe. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Close snap, hands off inside to Estime, 10-5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame.
2: WSBT, I'm Darren Pritchett, back with you on our program. We have about 11 minutes left in our show, then we turn things over to our South Bend Cubs broadcasters from Four Winds Field. 6.45 pregame, South Bend taking on those Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. All right, let's get going back into Notre Dame football conversation. Next up in our Notre Dame football opponent preview, today we take a look at at the Pittsburgh Panthers out of the Atlantic Coast Conference. Last year, Pittsburgh went 9-4. They had wins over West Virginia, 38-31, a win at Western Michigan, 34-13. They beat Antonio Carter and Rhode Island, 45-24. Pitt knocked off Vautech, 45-29, a 19-9 win over Syracuse. They won at Virginia, 37-7. A close win over Duke, 28-26, and they hammered Miami on the road, 42-16. Pittsburgh lost to Tennessee in a great win in Knoxville in overtime, 34-27. They lost to Georgia Tech, 26-21, a road loss to Louisville, 24-10, and they lost to North Carolina. 42-24 pat narduzzi getting set for his ninth season at the helm of the pittsburgh program the panthers there's an outside chance they could be undefeated coming to notre dame stadium could they go 7-0 to do so they'd have to beat wolford cincinnati at west virginia tough one against north carolina but at home at vautech louisville and at wake forest Let's talk about the Pittsburgh offense last year, 31.3 points per game, 406 yards of total offense, terrific on the ground, 183 rushing yards per game, 223 in the passing game. Kevon Slovis, the former USC quarterback, didn't have that big wow impact on the Pitt offense, 10 touchdowns, nine picks. Enter BC transfer slash Notre Dame transfer Phil Jerkovic, 24 career starts for Phil, 2022, dealing with injuries, 59.5% completion percentage at BC, 1,711 yards, 11 touchdowns, 8 picks. His best season was 2020, and now he's reunited with that offensive coordinator, Back then, he was B.C. offensive coordinator Frank Signetti. Now at Pittsburgh, in 2020, Jakovic 61% completion percentage, 2,558 yards, 17 touchdowns, five interceptions. 2022 top pass catcher was Jared Wayne, but he's gone. 60 catches last year for Pitt, but the next three top pass catchers return, led by Kanata Mumfield, 58 catches for 551. They've got a monster of a tight end and Gavin. Bartholomew, 6'5", 225. He had 21 catches for 283 last year. The offensive line helped Pittsburgh rush for 183 yards last year while allowing just 19 sacks, but four starters are gone, including all ACC left guard Marcus Miner and left tackle Carter Warren, drafted by the Jets. Israel Abenikandia, is gone. He had 1,469 rushing yards last year. Rodney Hammond looks to take over at running back after 465 yards and five touchdowns last year. The backup, probably former Irish running back Sebo Flemister, who last season had 40 carries for 225 and four touchdowns. They've also added LSU transfer Derek Davis. On defense, Pitt gave up 24.3 points per game, 330 total yards, 98 rushing yards, and 232 in the passing game. Their defense stingy giving up just those 98 rushing yards, and they had 48 sacks, but their three top sack artists are gone this year so a little different look the only starting defensive lineman back is defensive tackle david green with 22 tackles last year the two new starting defensive ends have played a total of 13 games middle linebacker savokia dennis led the team with 94 tackles he's gone the top four tacklers are gone from this pit team Dennis's replacement is likely former Irish linebacker Shane Simon, who last year had 46 tackles, 3.5 tackles for loss, 2 sacks, and 4 quarterback hurries. The top returning tackler is linebacker Bengali Kamara, 49 tackles and 7 pass breakups from his linebacker spot. The field corner is A.J. Woods, really good player, 13 pass breakups and a pick. The boundary corner is M.J. Devonshire with 24 tackles, 8 pass breakups, and three interceptions. They will break in two new starting safeties this year, and they add Florida transfer safety Devon McMillan. Some betting notes. Notre Dame has beaten Pitt six of the last seven times. In those seven games, Pitt against the spread is 4-2-1. The last two meetings, 2020, Notre Dame was favored by 10. They won 45-3. And in 2018, Notre Dame favored by 21. They only won 19-14. And Narduzzi. At Pitt as a road underdog has been pretty good, but last year 0 2 against the spread as a road dog. That's a look at the Pittsburgh Panthers in our opponent preview. Up next, after that Pitt game, Notre Dame heads to Death Valley to take on Clemson. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues right here on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.